Welcome to Beside the Burn. It's Monday the 7th of February and we're continuing our studies in Daniel and this week we are into Daniel chapter 4. If you haven't heard the sermon from Sunday there'll be a link below on the blog and uh, you can go back and listen to that. That really gives an overview of the story but today we're beginning at verse 1 of chapter 4 and throughout the week we're going to work our way through and look in detail all the little details that we had no time to do on Sunday. And in this particular chapter, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And we see, I suppose, the greatest miracle that we find in the book of Daniel. Now, if I had to ask you what is the greatest miracle in Daniel, you might say the lion's den. You might say the fiery furnace that we looked at last week. But I think this one today is truly the greatest miracle of all. In fact, there are a couple of miracles in this passage. But the main one is that Nebuchadnezzar, the horrible, evil king who has invaded Israel and has done everything that he can throughout this book so far to kill people who will not worship him, Nebuchadnezzar's life is turned around in this uh, in this chapter. So let's read it together. Let's find out uh, what we can and, and let's learn how we can live in exile the way that Daniel was doing with an evil king. So we begin in verse 1 and this is this whole chapter is written as a, a letter, a letter to all the people of the world. It's quite a, a grand claim that Nebuchadnezzar makes. So he, he starts off by saying who it is that is writing the letter and who he is writing the letter to. So King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations and languages that dwell in the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. So here he is, this great king, and he feels as though he is able, he has the authority to write to all peoples and nations and, and languages that dwell on the earth, such as his power and his might and his majesty. And again, this is almost a reversal of Babel, the Tower of Babel, where the languages were confused. Now Nebuchadnezzar is writing to all those people and is trying to bring them together again under his authority and under his rule. Now, this is a remarkable chapter in the Bible because it is not written by an Israelite. It is written by a pagan king. And again, as these early chapters in Daniel are, it is written in Aramaic. So the king himself is writing the letter. Now, that's fair enough. We might say, okay, the letter was written, it was sent out, here it is, just slotted into the Bible for us as a, a piece of background information. But it's included by the Holy Spirit in God's word in this book of Daniel so that we can learn something about Nebuchadnezzar. And what we will see is that he's really writing his testimony of how he came to trust in the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel. And what we've got to ask ourselves, is this a genuine conversion? And I would suggest that it probably is a genuine conversion because otherwise, why would the Holy Spirit decide to include it within this book? If it wasn't genuine, then there's no place for it in the Bible. So it's quite possible that we will bump into Nebuchadnezzar whenever we get to heaven because this appears to be his conversion. So it's an unusual chapter. It's written by a pagan king. It's written in Aramaic, but it's a word of testimony. 
And whenever you receive a letter from Nebuchadnezzar, imagine the situation you're in some of the outlying districts or other countries that have been um, taken over by him, maybe even Israel, and a letter arrives from Nebuchadnezzar, you would be dreading it. You'd be opening it up almost trembling, wondering what he's going to say, what decree is he going to make, who is he going to attack this time, who's going to lose their lives. But he very quickly comes in, in the very first verse of the chapter, Peace be multiplied to you. He wants the people to realise that he's writing in peace. This is good news. Nobody's going to die because of this particular letter and the decrees that he is making. He says, It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. So in other words, he thinks that it's a good idea to tell people all that God has done for him, that he shares his testimony and that he allows people to find out the change that God has made to him. And there's a lot going to happen in this, the signs and wonders that he speaks of. There's a lot going on in this particular letter. There's going to be a dream that he's had. There's going to be the interpretation of the dream. There's going to be a judgment that comes from God. And then there's going to be a reversal of that, a restoration of his reason. And then at the end of the chapter, not to give too much away, we're going to see an increase in his greatness. This great and powerful king who starts off at the beginning as king over the whole world gets even more power and authority by the end. But what we've got to realise is that no matter how great Nebuchadnezzar is, he is under God's control. He is humbled by God and then he is magnified by God. It's all in God's decision. And so he carries on in verse 3 then about these signs and wonders uh, that uh, God performs. And this is um, a declaration of praise that he's giving to God. And he's coming to realise who God is throughout the book so far. There have all been these little nudges where he has seen God at work and then he elevates God to being on a level playing field with the rest of his gods. But here we're beginning to see that he's coming to this understanding that the God of Israel is the only God and the God who is to be worshipped. So this is quite an introduction and it paves the way for what is to follow. And just look at the, the symmetry here. He's talking about the signs and the wonders and these signs and wonders are great and mighty. And we can see that he is impressed by what God has done. And he talks about God's kingdom being an everlasting kingdom and realising that his own kingdom is limited and that God's dominion and power will endure from generation to generation. So he's declaring all the things that he would like said about himself, but he is saying them about the one true living God. And remember, this is someone who made rules that discriminated against anyone who worshipped this God. And now here he is turning his whole life around. So what does he have to say to the people? Well, verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. So there he is, he's in his palace, he's in his own home, and everything is well, it's all prospering, there's nothing wrong with him at all. 
I saw a dream that made me afraid. So again, like the first dream that he had of the statue, he is afraid of what he has just seen in this dream and the consequences of it. And as I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. He is worried about what the dream will say to him and what God is trying to say to him through it. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. So he doesn't seem to have learnt anything from the last time he had a dream. Now, it's a long time ago, but the last time these wise men that he called upon were unable to uh, interpret the dream. And Daniel was the only one who was able to give him the interpretation. And this time he calls on the wise men again, and it's a little bit later before Daniel enters in verse 8 to give his opinion. And we may condemn Nebuchadnezzar for this, and yet is that not what we do time and time again? We know the truth of God, and yet quite often we'll go back to our old ways and do our old things again rather than truly trusting in him. It is a trait of human beings to make these mistakes and, and not to learn from them. And here we see Nebuchadnezzar doing the same thing. But then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. So again, they're failing. And this sets up the entrance of Daniel, who we know will be able to interpret dreams. That is the gift that God has given to him. Now, I wonder here whether it is could not or would not in these particular wise men. They realised what the dream was. They didn't have to make it up this time because they were told it. And they could see that this was not good news for Nebuchadnezzar. He was going to be cut down. It all starts off well, but he's going to end badly in this. And maybe they were frightened to tell the king their interpretation. So it was much easier to go back to the old way that they had heard in the past and say, look, whoa, we, we, can't, we can't interpret it. We don't know what to say. And that got them out of the problem that they were in. So then we go to verses 8 and 9. At last, Daniel came in before me. So at last, finally, here's the answer coming in Daniel. He who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and I told him the dream, saying. So here's an interesting little point. Nebuchadnezzar is wanting to make it clear, right from the beginning here, that the interpretation of this dream and all that happens in this dream is because of the God of Israel, the one true living God. It's not because of any of the Babylonian gods, but the person who's coming to interpret it is called Belteshazzar. And he has a name that is named after Nebuchadnezzar's gods. So he's almost making an excuse here saying, look, okay, here's the guy coming that's going to make the interpretation. He's doing it from the spirit of the holy gods, the holy god of Israel. And yes, he's got this name of Babylonian god name. But that means nothing. Uh, just listen to what he has to say and, and follow along about what he's doing. 
O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar here has spiritual insight. He knows that the spirit of the holy gods is with Daniel and that's the only way that this can be interpreted. And so he brings the dream to Daniel and asks that Daniel would tell him. Now, at this particular point in the story of what is happening, Nebuchadnezzar is not a follower of God yet. In the writing of this, he is a follower of God because he's come out the other side and we know what's happened to him. But at this point in the story, he's still doubting God. But he realises that there's something spiritual about Daniel and because of that, Daniel is able to answer the um, the request to interpret the dream. So what can we learn from this? Well, we can learn that it's always better to go to God and to seek God in these things rather than going our old ways and our own plans. Go to God first and look at how God has helped us in the past and then realise that he can help us in the future as well. If Nebuchadnezzar had thought about the last dream that troubled him and how Daniel had interpreted it right from the beginning, it would have saved a lot of bother. So let's come before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, we give you thanks that you are a faithful God, a God who reveals himself to us and a God who displays his might and his majesty. Lord, we thank you that you can be trusted. And Lord, we thank you for the way that you work in our lives, that you work the same way now as you have done in the past. And Lord, therefore, we can uh, discover patterns that you follow And we can see ways that we can trust you. So Lord, help us to see you at work in our lives. And then help us to trust you to do what you have done in the past. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.